Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 2, Episode 7. Thanks for joining us this time around. This is Part 5 of a series on what leaders actually do. In this episode, we're going to talk about the leader's role in distributing resources. This is not easy. It's easy to think of this strictly as a financial and budgeting process, but there's more to it. And if you neglect some of the underlying areas, you'll be neglecting some potential leadership opportunities. As I've looked over the previous material we've covered here at Great Ridge Station, there's one phrase that keeps coming up. Over and over, I seem to say something like, this is a difficult aspect of leadership. Well, the practice of leadership is difficult, and unfortunately, it's not helped when we have popular leadership speakers and writers who simply scratch the surface and try to provide a formula for good leadership. Leadership is hard because it defies formulaic solutions. The other reason it's hard, though, is because people do not want to make the effort to do the research and think things through. Critical thinking does not come easily. So that's part of the reason that resource allocation can be so challenging. It's easy to think that it involves a balance sheet that balances. Well, that's important, but that's not the whole story. Now, here's the caveat that I have to give you. I am not an accountant or a finance guy. But I know how to read financial documents, and I've created and managed multi-million dollar budgets. But in all of that, I've had to learn not just the financial nuts and bolts, but the underlying principles. Principles that are often overlooked. It may not have occurred to you, but every budget is a value statement. Every balance sheet is a value statement. Every financial and performance metric within any organization is a value statement. Now, that's a pretty audacious claim, so what do I mean by that? Well, it's pretty difficult to make a convincing case that a company values something that does not show up in its budget and end-of-year financial balance sheet. We, as leaders and organizations, invest in the things that matter most to us. And that fact can be problematic. A few years ago, I had the privilege of serving as the executive director for a nonprofit organization. We were doing good work, and I served along with a really committed group of people. Each person oversaw a particular aspect of our work and worked with their own teams. Now, I spoke a lot about the idea that our budget should reflect our values, and we met together to strategize for planning, budgeting, and implementation. And as we worked through our budgeting process, I experienced what they call a BFO, a blinding flash of the obvious. A huge percentage of our income and our budget went to fixed expenses. Most of it went to pay wages. Then there was the building we owned, utilities, rent, insurance, and maintenance. And there was simply no way around those expenses. What we discovered was that there was very little discretionary space in our budget to invest in new opportunities or to radically change our working model. Most of my career has been spent in innovative companies where there was money available to invest. But there, in the nonprofit world, I suddenly found that my hands were tied. The so-called discretionary pieces of our budget essentially involved providing tools and resources to support the staff and the work they were doing. Well, that took some soul-searching by all of us on staff, 
And we came to realize that those fixed expenses really did reflect our core values. The building was a key element in the work we did. The wages of staff represented different aspects of our shared work. It wouldn't have had to play out the way that it did. I know of other nonprofits who decided that owning their facilities made them more institutional than missional, if you take my meaning. They were losing their effectiveness in trying to maintain a facility, and all of their resources got tied up in that. Well, they wound up selling their building in favor of rented digs. Now, those are the kinds of questions that organizations have to answer. And in my experience, it doesn't matter if it's a for-profit or a not-for-profit entity, there's always a balance point that defines success and long-term sustainability. And so the things that you budget for, the things that you spend your money on, represent the bottom-line values of the organization, pun intended. So when a company says it values employee development, that needs to be reflected in what it actually does and what it actually spends and invests in. Is there a tuition reimbursement program, and is that encouraged? When a company says that it values innovation but spends nothing to support research and development, um, is that something that it really values? See, learn to read financial reports to understand an organization's real values. Obviously, this is way easier if you A, work for the company, or B, the company is publicly held and financial reports are available. But the flip side of that is that as a leader, you need to construct your budget as a reflection of your leadership values. For me, this was easier when I was in a corporate setting, managing that multi-million dollar budget, because facilities costs were handled centrally and were not part of my concern. My budget had to reflect my own strategic vision for our division's future direction and the things that were of value to that. Our success depended on it. Now, that involved personnel decisions, technology investment, production costs, uh, tools, costs of collaboration, team development, and personal growth. It was an intentional process of putting our money where our mouth was, to borrow the old proverb. Yes, sometimes budget gets overruled or modified from higher up in the organization. That's not uncommon. And no budget is perfect. But as leaders, it's our responsibility to keep pushing for budgets and expenditures that align with the spoken values of an organization. Yes, sometimes necessity and prior commitments can influence our budgets and our spending. As leaders, we need to discern and address how those fixed expenses align with organizational values. You'll be happy to know, though, that resource allocation involves more than just money and finances. I can't give you an exhaustive list. Okay, I probably could give you an exhaustive list, but I put a lot of effort into keeping this podcast in the neighborhood of 15 minutes, so I'm not going there. Let me just share a few ideas to help you get your mind around some other directions and see some new opportunities for allocating resources that you might never have considered. Let's talk about expertise. Expertise is a resource that can be shared or hoarded, and how you, as a leader, view expertise will influence how successful you are. Now, let me give you an example of how this works. This week, a colleague came to me with a question about a problem that she needed to address and asked if I had any insights. Interestingly, the day before, I had had a conversation with another colleague who had just dealt with a similar situation. 
that gave me the opportunity to connect these two colleagues. See, I don't have to be the expert to distribute expertise. I simply have to know where the expertise is and who needs it. Sometimes I do get to be the expert, but I work hard to, to be sure that I'm not a roadblock to other people, and that may mean helping others to distribute their expertise as well. Now, mind you, I have mixed feelings about the value of expertise, and if you want to know more about that, look at the episode from Season 1, The Fragile Expert. As a leader, it'll also be up to you to think about distributing time. Now, some people think of time as a valuable, limited resource. Some people think of it as a commodity, and I prefer to think of it as a gift. So what do I mean when I suggest that time is something we have to distribute, at least as though it was a resource? So ask yourself this question. Do the people you serve have enough time to complete the work you've given them to do? See, this is a big deal. In Minnesota, where I live and gallivant about, we recently implemented a new wage theft law. Let me tell you about it. Please bear in mind that I'm not an attorney. This is an informal summary. Actual mileage may vary. In this new wage theft law, employers can no longer require exempt employees to work more than 40 hours a week unless it is expressly stated in the employment contract and job description. Non-exempt is not a way for employers to get free overtime out of people, and failure to comply with the law is a felony. Yes, a felony. And while not all states have wage theft laws, several do, and there are more coming. So expect this to matter to you as a leader. The upshot of all of this is that your work requirements, how you support your employees' paid time, is becoming more rigorous. Now, I'm given to approaching these matters in positive ways because it's flatly unethical to take advantage of employees or habitually underpay them. I think we have an ethical and moral responsibility to get this right. If you give an employee a project or a responsibility, you need to ensure that you have carved out the time on their schedule to make it realistic for them to complete it. The workload needs to align with the time available for the work. Now, I've had seasons in my work where... Every meeting I went to garnered me another project, and I found myself wondering how I was going to get it all done. Working with my boss to manage my time and my commitments was a huge benefit. I've had to have the same sort of conversations with people who report to me. Manage your time, manage your workload, manage your stress. Now, if you're always making heroic efforts to get the work done every time, what you're actually doing is hiding the real cost of doing business from your employer. They may be understaffed, and your butt-busting, high responsibility may be hiding that from them. If you're a leader, helping others to allocate their time, their work, and their results can be a key part of keeping a productive, contented workforce. Now, I hesitate to mention this, but misallocation of time can also be used in a punitive, coercive way. Now, I trust you're ethical enough to avoid that, but you should be aware that it can happen. That kind of behavior is often why people dread Mondays and live for the weekend. <laughs> Many years ago, I worked in the technology area of a fairly large company. One of the people that I worked with had a large planning calendar on the wall of his office, and the dates that were highlighted were the dates when he was not working. Weekends, holidays, vacations... Those were the days he lived for. Those were the days he worked for. And that was a good lesson for me. I never wanted to be that guy. My dad always said, life's too short to work in a job you hate. 
And I've always been grateful for that good wisdom. The next piece that we have to distribute is appealing work assignments. Way back in about 1965, there was a study done to determine what constitutes a good job. The research demonstrated that a good job consisted of about 70% work that you enjoy, 20% work that you're mostly kind of ambivalent about, and 10% of the work that you dislike. Now, over the years, that study has been repeated numerous times, and the results have been startlingly consistent. Everybody has a few things that they really don't like to do. Now, one of the things that you get to do and distribute as a leader is work assignments. Now, it's not difficult to imagine a world where someone gets to do all the fun stuff, and someone else has a job that's made up of 90% of the stuff that no one else wants to do. Yes, this can become coercive. See, part of the benefit of a team and what leaders need to tap into is that people have different preferences. I once worked with a guy named Nick. Nick loved his job, and he was good at it, and I would have absolutely hated it. For him, it was a good job. For me, it would have been something that Dante wrote about. That's a sideways reference to Dante's Inferno, where he wrote about the various circles of hell. Leaders get to distribute work by load balancing to the preferences of the people on their team, their department, their division. The point being, keep everybody as close as possible to the 70-20-10 ratio that I mentioned earlier. Think of work, too, as a resource that you need to distribute. No, that's not always possible, particularly in small entrepreneurial organizations, but those hateful tasks might well be pieces that you want to outsource just to manage the workload to a healthy ratio. Now, if you'll permit me a moment of reminiscing, I want to talk a bit about flexibility. Years ago, while I was still in college, I started working remotely. One of my professors had recommended me to a company that needed a couple of technical manuals written. I lived in Wisconsin, and I worked for a company that was located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Even in the dark ages, before the internet, I would send my work via modem to their computer. And I discovered something about myself. I work better at night. Often I'd work all night long and end my work day shortly after sunrise. No one bothered me, the phone didn't ring, and I could be remarkably productive. Today, my schedule looks a bit less nocturnal, but I still thrive on evening work. And since then, I've had the good fortune of working off-site and choosing my own hours for most of my career. Not all of it, but most of it. Now, thankfully, that, that shapes a good deal of my work life. I need that, and I'm grateful for it. You see, this is another aspect of allocating a resource. Not everybody can work off-site or with flexible hours. I know several people who don't feel like they're working unless they are in the office, and some people who actually aren't working if they're not in the office. But again, the preferences are personal, but as leaders, we need to find ways to accommodate people's best working styles. So in summary, when we think about allocating resources, we typically think in terms of capital, budgets, money, capital expenditures, but there's far more to it than that. Every decision you make as a leader will change the shape of someone's work. Now, that's not bad, but it's something we have to be aware of. How we allocate resources, time, work, and flexibility will shape the way that we lead people. 
This is not a place to sit back and take a passive approach. Step up. Your colleagues and your career depend on it. Learn how to allocate the resources that have been entrusted to you. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.